This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Colonel John Mills, it is wonderful to have you back with us. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, Peter, thank you. An honor to be uh, on your show again with you. Thank you so much. Great to have you. And of course, uh, you're one of the regular War Room Posse. Um, and it's to all the War Room Posse watching on Rumble and Getter. Great to have you with us. And today we have one of your own, one of the regular ones uh, with Steve. Uh, and I think last time had John. Uh, John, we were looking at your other book, your first book. Let me bring that up on the screen. Uh, and the first one was The Nation Will Follow, uh, and that is that first-hand experiences fighting the deep state and the action plan for the American citizen. And today we're going to look at your latest book, uh, which is just out, and it is War Against the deep state. I will get into, I've thoroughly enjoyed reading through it and we'll pull out a number of the different chapter points in it. But maybe, John, the first question, uh, often individuals write book and then they move on to something often quite different. Uh, You've stayed on a a similar thread. Uh, Do you want to just let the viewers know why this is something kind of you feel fixed on and why it's so important to produce a second book on a similar topic. Well, thank you, Peter. Uh, I always intended this to be a two book series. The first book uh, in many ways was about uh, my, uh, what I gave to the Durham investigation and my different statements and submissions to the Durham investigation and my personal war against, uh, or my personal combat uh, and experience uh, fighting the deep state while I was inside of government. We do have a very important uh, uh, arrest out of the Durham investigation. I hadn't gotten a lot of attention, and it was technically, it was separated out from the Durham investigation, but I think that was pure Department of Justice front office uh, quibbling uh, with Merrick Garland and John Durham, who says, "Okay, John, we'll give you we'll give you this, but you have to separate it out from the uh, from the the core Durham investigation." But it's Charles McGonagall, Charles McGonagall, the former director of counterintelligence to the New York field office. Uh, um, this is just like some of the. Uh, uh, famous uh, British spy cases where it was found to be trusted people who were actually working for the Russians. It turns out McGonagall was the guy feeding us information in early 2016 about Trump, 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 Russia, 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 or actually it was Russia, 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 Trump, Trump, Trump. And um, it was like, oh, okay, I'm a sworn professional. Okay. If it was, if Trump was in on this, I mean, I want to know. And that led to the, to the total fraudulent Intel community assessment of November, December, 2016. So that's what, you know, a lot of what book one was about. And it was about, you know, the action plan right in your County. Book two is more, is, is far more detail into how, we've really arrived at the unlawful fourth, fifth, and sixth branches of government in America. And this is really the deep state manifesting itself. And these four in, in the American system, 
the unlawful for those who've been their their brains have been mushed by Howard's in history books in the American public school system. It's uh, the fourth branch of government uh, is the administrative state. The fifth branch of government is the coming together of federal law enforcement, federal intelligence and big tech. Uh, to unlawfully surveil. And then the sixth branch of government are in the American uh, tax uh, code and system, then what we call the nonprofits, the 501c3s. Um, so that's really uh, the, found, the, the, the deep state manifesting itself. And, and the order of hierarchy from the top to the lower levels is always, it's at this point in time in the year 2023, it's China. Globalists manifested by Klaus. I must, we must have a reset. We must establish our enduring reset. Uh, so Klaus and the globalists, um, and uh, and then we got always have to throw in Russia, Iran, Venezuela, and North Korea. And in America, it's our uniparty uh, that is enabling these un- these unlawful fourth, fifth, and sixth branches of government. So that's why there was a two-book series and uh, and then also more detail and, and success cases, success stories of the, the foundation of the American system is at the county and county equivalent level. So that's where uh, most Americans should spend all of their time and energy. And if they want to have great effect at the national level is crash the market capitalization of these woke companies such as Disney. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of victories and success stories here. Uh, and, and in America, as too many people on our side of the ledger are disappointed, disillusioned. Oh, nothing we can do. They'll cheat. They're not, it's, they're, it's worthless. It's over. You know, I'm a Churchill guy. And Churchill was both an, Amer- an American and a, uh, a, a, a sovereign UK citizen. Okay. I'm never, ever, ever give up, never, ever, ever surrender, ever. And uh, so we will win if we put our shoulder to the wheel here. But that's that's so in, in war against the deep state, I uh, I go over this. And I was I was part of the interagency team that put together the mass surveillance system 2000, 2000, 2007 and 2014, which had a very strong enabling factor with the linkage with the five eyes, the five English speaking nations, because our, our five intelligence services work extremely closer. There's no closer relationship in the world. And then we have five ply, five eyes plus. I'm not going to name any countries, but there's a number of other countries in the five eyes plus category. Um, so, so that's, that's the transition from book one and uh, the nation will fall into book two, War Against the Deep State. Okay, there are a lot of things want to pick up, and we'll get towards those fourth, fifth, and sixth sections of the government, the administrative state, the surveillance state, and the C3s, that uh, charitable sectors, as we call it, uh, in the UK. And uh, all those areas by themselves are fascinating. All those areas could be a book in themselves. No pressure on you, John. But um, you start, you start chapter one. You start in a similar way to the first book. Um, a paragraph from it. If you have read book one, the nation will follow. And if you haven't, I strongly advise that you do. Then you will know that I started the book with a similar message: "Moms will win this war." Um, tell the hot why you start with that same message about the importance of moms in this fight 
two reasons. I, I think there is a distinct identifiable, um, the women have been at the forefront of this fight in America. And I think in many places, women are often the first to respond to the message of Christ. They're the first to respond to many uh, messages and actions. And I think it is quite noteworthy and laudable of uh, the role because many women, in addition to being mothers, have said, I am not going to put up with this insanity that I'm dealing with in my, my county school board. Uh, and, and they're the first ones to show up. So uh, one, a bravo and more encouragement. That's great. That's one. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But it's also a message to the men to get off the couch and get on, the, get in the game. Um, yeah, there's a lot of the men I've, I've noticed have this attitude. Well, uh, especially in, in a traditional family, which is a good and noble thing. It's the foundation for any society. If you don't have family, if you don't have borders, you don't have a civilization. If you don't have families, you don't have a civilization. And we're all addressing uh, dealing with this collapse in birth rates. Uh, having children is a God-ordained thing. Come on, people, stop. Well, I'm too busy with my professional life. Oh, you know, I can't afford another child. I mean, give me a break. Come on. Let's get out there, have families, have children. But the role of women and also a message to the men, put down the bowl of loudmouth soup, stop bellowing on social media, stop going, I might lose my job, uh, and get into the game and provide backup and reinforcement for these incredible women. And I love... uh what many of the women fem- women organizations are doing, we've had Moms for Liberty on Teen on a number of times, and and it, that's just one of many, I think, organizations across the state that have taken the fight back to the system and are standing up for um, their rights as parents and also the right for their children. So it's it's exciting to see that happening right before our eyes. Um, another part of the ballot, Chapter 2, Understanding Your County, and this is... There are a number of chapters through the books that maybe sit back and think, actually, yeah, you're right. I didn't necessarily see that as part of the fight, but it is. Um, tell us about the county, because I think most people automatically think the swamp, D.C., central government, that's the enemy, that's the bad one. But you go down to the county level and tell us the importance of being involved there. Why is it so important? Well, in the American system, and I, you know, after 35 plus years of working at the federal level and facing outward to, to battle the external threat, I didn't even realize it. And in the American system, the county and the county equivalent are the foundation of the constitutional republic. If your county or county equivalent, there's th- the Census Bureau rosters 3,300 county, county equivalents across America. And and in different states, they could be called different things, like in Louisiana, their parishes. Uh, In Alaska, I I, forgive me, I think it's districts. So there's different possible names, but predominantly they're called counties, county equivalents. That's the foundation for our constitutional republic. That's the foundation for our voting system. If you have a dirty vote in a county, it's not, as we learned on January 6, 2020, it's not going to get cleaner or better as it goes up toward Congress. The state is unlikely to fix it. This, the federal system is unlikely to fix it. They say, well, hey, this is your vote. I'm just going by what your, your vote said. 
Uh, and I think we learned a hard lesson and we forgot the importance of right where we live, right where I live. And I spend most of my energy fighting, fighting the deep state right in my county. Uh, we, we used to be a deep red county. We're now a bluish, bluish, purplish county. And I think a lot of it is fraudulent activity. But, you know, most of the activists, conservative activists in our county just kind of said, hey, we're in Red County. What do we got to worry about? We just we, we got it under control. And it was stolen right out right from behind our back as we were thinking, hey, we're in we got this county. No, no. So in the American system, the county is that's where it starts. That's the foundation. The deep state at the federal level would not exist if we had clean counties. And, and in the American system, the 24, 2024 vote is is the big three are Maricopa in Arizona, Fulton in Georgia, and the 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 worst of the worst, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. Um, uh, one of the subsections is establishing information dominance, and uh, I mean, tell us about that because that's where you're sure-footed. That's where confidence comes from. That's where boldness comes from. When you when you understand um, the position you're in, the fight in your area. Um, it, Tell us more, and it doesn't just apply to a county level, it applies in every area that information is key. Mm -hmm. it, it's being able to articulate a mastery of the, uh, of the legal landscape, of the personality landscape. Now, having worked years in, in, in the special operations community and, and counterterrorism, and I'm very careful about using this term because people start freaking out and taking all kinds of misinterpretations. But when I, when I coach and mentor others, I always say you need to create a target book, a target book for your county. And that's where you, you know exactly who is in what position, what exactly are their position, policy positions on different topics. And you know how and when these personalities and those seven groups, when they meet, when they have public comment periods, and you can show up and say something intelligent, thoughtful, and actionable. Action, action, action at all times. So, and this is the challenge. A lot of people are upset. And I say, well, how many show up to these meetings? Few people. And I say, okay, of those who show up, how many say something? Even fewer people of what's left. And then I go, okay, and what did you say or write? And then we start to go through it. And, and, and I think sometimes people need, need to work a little bit on their vocabulary and presentation because sometimes uh, it may be counterproductive. I say, oh, she, you wrote a letter to the county board. Can I see that letter? And I go, whoa, I, that's interesting. I wouldn't have written it. I wouldn't have written it in that manner. In fact, if I was a public official receiving this letter, I wouldn't interpret this as a uh, physical threat. Okay, so <laughs> we need to be more thoughtful in how we come across. And uh, people say, "Well, you're just becoming you're just becoming part of the unit party." Uh, no, no, no. This is part of civil society, and we need to we need to get tough. We need to get smart, and we need to get. Uh, uh, like dominate the information environment. We need to know the state laws on elections. Okay. We need to know the state codes on these different topics. We need to know exactly the governance venue in which these laws are actually applied. We need to know at the school board, who is saying what, 
You need to prepare and dominate this in this environment. And that way, when you stand up and you say something, if you have a clean county, the officials are going to pay attention because they're going to go, oh, geez, uh, I, I actually haven't even read that law in 20 years. I better go back and read that law. And if you have a dirty county, people are going to get very nervous. Mm, you're 100%. Um, chapter three is another one that kind of is under the radar, I think, and that's public private partnerships what could possibly go wrong and you start with a a quote uh, the most dangerous man in any government is the man who's able to think things out for himself without regard to the prevailing superstitions and taboos almost inevitably comes the conclusion that the government he lives under is dishonest insane and intolerable i love it uh, and if um and so if he is romantic he tries to change it uh, but that Tell us about that private partnerships, because these are connections. These are relationships that maybe many of the public will have no idea are in place and are happening and are shaping our lives. Well, yeah. When I first came uh, uh, into the Office of Secretary of Defense in 2004, I think it was, um, everybody was using this term public-private partnerships. We got to create a public-private partnership on information sharing, which also led to that mass surveillance program starting in 2007. Now, in the American system, I mean, the, the elites love to use that expression. And so I, I set up some of the original, even before 2007, some of the original public-private confabs. Confab, uh, at least in my Webster's, is a small intimate gathering uh, where you can talk talk in detail. Well, we, we, we would have these, uh, these public-private gatherings. There, there is no legal definition of a public-private gathering in the American system. One of the things I realized after a while, there is no legal definition. So you can do whatever you want to do. Now, we, we do have laws uh, such as the uh, 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 FACA, FACA, the Federal Advisory and uh, um, I think uh, FACA, Federal Advisory and Consulting Act which does lay some boundaries uh, on how and when groups, individuals can uh, participate in, in helping to formulate federal policy, which is not law, it's policy. But um, this led to the enduring security framework. It led to, which was our way to, and we established it lawfully, but we essentially did an end around the FACA Act because we cited exceptions and we very artfully did that. At the time, it sounded like a good idea, but this led to us renew, uh, establishing a relationship with Silicon Valley. And this started, this started at the end of the Bush years, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, you know, Hey, they have a lot of great technologies. We're involved in this war on terror, this, 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 we need a surveillance system that is broad, that's pervasive, that's enduring. And frankly, we can't do this without a public-private partnership with all these evolving big tech companies, which led to the program we set up in 2007 and 2014, which was the foundation for the modern pervasive surveillance state. Again, a, a blurring together of federal law enforcement, federal intelligence, and big tech. And the, the Five Eyes component with our UK, Canadian, uh, Australian, and then the two people in, Australia, in New Zealand that we work with, 
I mean, it's that was a joke. Uh, was George was very, <laughs> was, uh, very, uh, very important. Uh, so. That and and you go on to the government return to Silicon Valley next chapter, which which widens that whole conversation on big tech. I know big tech was um was part of the focus of the first book, um, but tell us because we've had exposes on big tech collusion with the government, um, and it seems nothing much happens. And in this chapter, you delve into, I think you call it what, the four corners of innovation, and you delve into different areas. Um, I mean, tell us more about that and why has nothing really happened in that area? Oh, contraire, my good Peter. Many good things have happened. I mean, we got we got McGonagall, but we also got that it's a huge case that's developing huge energy and that's the this is the beauty of states and the relationship of states and the federal government. It's the Missouri Louisiana case against DHS CISA Jen Easterly, who used to work at NSA and used to used to be one of my colleagues. Uh, great energy, and I'm actually uh, becoming a party to this case because the the Fifth Circuit just schwacked down. That's a that's a legal technical term. Um, so they just schwacked down, uh, Missouri and Louisiana. And I mean, DH, uh, excuse me, uh, DHS, CISA and FBI says, if you want to, for national security reasons, talk to big tech, that's one thing, but in no way, shape or form, can you share names? I'm one of them of uh, Americans to be targeted, silenced and censored. That is absolutely egregiously unlawful. And there was just, and this, this dysfunction, public-private partnership of NewsGuard, NewsGuard, which had the same personalities that I've named in book one and book two, General Mike Hayden is on the board of NewsGuard. It's a nonprofit. It's a fraud. And, and it gets government money. And it also, again, is absolutely unlawful because they're just like the FBI, just like DHS CISA, um, they're giving names of Americans to be targeted, silenced, and censored on social media. So this is huge victories are amassing in this area. This is this is gaining unstoppable momentum. And so uh, they've been told uh, the you know DHS, CISA, and FBI said absolutely. If you want to meet with them for national security reasons, that's one thing. But you in no way, shape, or form can this be a venue. Uh, or obfuscate uh, the uh, unlawful, uh, say, I want you, I want, here's a list of names of people to target silence and censor. And that goes both ways. That goes neat and, and industry can't give that to, uh, to the government. So this is huge. It's just huge what's going on. And I, we've, we've uncovered a list that actually had my name on it. And it's like, hmm, what did I do that was so egregious? Why was I one of the names listed? So, so this is this is the out of control nature and uh, of these uh, of these deep staters who just, you know, law is just for the little people. Uh, we're going to do whatever we want to do, and you know, Jen Easterly is up there arguing uh, through her lawyers in the uh, in the Fifth Circuit. No, it's very important that DHS modulate and regulate public discourse. Really, what? what? Where, where does it say that? I mean, this is the UK might be a different story, but I'm sorry, the American system. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is absolutely no, this is DHS is monitoring election infrastructure. I'm going, where's the law on this? There, there actually is no statute that says DHS, CISA, it's your job to op federalize and operate the, uh, and, and provide uh, 
mass surveillance of the election system. There's no law that says that. And there's no law that says they can give names to uh, big tech. So that's what's going on here. And that's the, for the, these chapters. Is that a step change? Because you've got a lot of experience uh, with the with the military and intelligence and the agencies and understanding that, uh, I mean, traditionally, probably most of the public thought that those agencies were focused on hostile threats abroad, uh, bad countries, bad actors outside the U.S., but it seems as though there's been a whole flip over of the focus now being on those internally and law-abiding citizens now being followed. Uh, is that a, a change or has that really always been happening? I, I think maybe in the past some of this has happened. In, in a later chapter in the book, I talk about the Church Commission, that Senator Frank Church, who led a, a, a very noteworthy event in uh, 1974-75 to really review the, uh, the, the misbehavior in the intelligence community. We need a modern commission, but it needs to go far broader and deeper. And we need to literally start over with some of these agencies. I'm all for, we have to have an aggressive law enforcement, a federal law enforcement and intelligence, but there must be absolute transparency and accountability. And it's to protect the American pe people, but it, in no way can it be weaponized. And yes, somehow somebody missed the memo on this and it just started and it grew and it grew. But General Mike Hayden, who I used to think highly of, was a poster child. His most recent, one of his ex-Twitters tweets, what do we call it, an ex-tweet? An ex-ex? I don't know what we call it. But uh, um, he, uh, you know, made some very unthoughtful comments about Senator Tuberville of Alabama. And it's like, you know, essentially, I would have taken it as a physical threat. And Senator Tuberville, very rightly so. Uh, turned him into uh, Capitol Hill police as this 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 uh, former official is making a violent threat, and I think he I think he was, and he needs to be again a technical term. He needs to be schwacked for that, um, and it's just very unthoughtful. But it just it's it's you know you have Dr. Malone coming on in the near future. It's that mass psychosis has taken over, and formerly reasonable people have just gone back guano crazy another technical term is where they just they went berserk on this and we it's we must modulate what americans are saying in social media really where did that it's that mass psychosis inside of the deep staters our career civilians our political civilians our uniform military all the contractors uh, the government always know best. Come on, John, you should know that by now. Um, chapter six goes, the title is An Angry County Registrar, an incremental win in taking back our counties. And you start by saying, as I have already mentioned, I never ask anyone to do something that I would not be willing to do myself. I want to take this opportunity to highlight some successes that I've had uh, myself. And you touch on, talk to your attorney general, uh, you talk about finding the sheriff, get an office call with a judge. Um, maybe you can just touch on that because those are ways that practically people can get involved. Because I think often people think it's too big. And I think one of the beauties of your book is that you break it down into manageable chunks so people can say, I can do that. So make me touch on some of those um, local engagements. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Peter. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to, 
eat an elephant. I don't know if this is an appropriate term in 2023. I haven't run this by the sensors yet, but if you're going to eat an elephant, you got to start a bite at a time here. And, and you got to really start again, information, dominance, and mastery, understand who does what in your County. And this is where in 2019, I started tangling with our former registrar in our County, a registrar runs an election. In Arizona, they're called recorders. Again, in other states, they may be called different things, but essentially the same, very similar roles and functions. And so I started tangling with Michelle White, and it just, man, she just sent me some. And this was, I didn't, because this had not resolved in, by, by the time we published book one. So I wanted to give kind of a journey here. It's still on, the battle's still ongoing. But long story short, in early 22, um, I was called, I was asked to give a presentation to our uh, uh, Jason Miara's as staff, our, our attorney general in Virginia, who came in with Governor Yunkin in, in a kind of a red wave. And uh, and so he said, so what's going on? What's going on in Prince William County? So I said, OK, here's what's going on. Here's what I think. Well, that's and I, I, I pre presented my documented series of tanglings with Michelle White. I, I was able to force her out. I wasn't the only one, probably. There was other things going on, but I was the one who really uh, went went uh, 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 really duped it out with her, and she resigned shortly after the 2020 November election. And you know, the only person who got really angry, the only group that really got angry, was the County Republican Party, who sent me just a vicious, nasty letter. Uh, on it. Uh, that's another story. But uh, but she resigned. But then in early 22, uh, the Miara's team said, OK, what's going on? I gave him that. That's it's in the American system. It just can't be one person's word. You know, you have to have multiple parties who make statements and they're cooperated. But after that led to other people, that led to more conversations. A grand a jury panel was a grand jury was impaneled. Um, that's a high bar to get to that. And then uh, they ran it and uh, the grand jury returned several felony indictments against Michelle White. So uh, my, my former registrar. So she's she's uh, going through the legal process right now uh, uh, for election fraud in 2020. So and all the people, there's now election fraud in 2020. Well, yeah, actually, my my registrar has been charged with election fraud. So I'm tangling with my current registrar who just a few months ago, the Republican uh, election board could have easily, no questions asked, replaced the new registrar, who I have grave concerns with also. And they choked and they, they, their inner Mitt Romney came to the forefront and they renewed the contract of this registrar. And I, so next, next board meeting, I said, I, I said, uh, I went through it and said, uh, Members of the board, uh, uh, in short, I said they've demonstrated their absolute fecklessness, and I insisted that they all three resign. The two Republicans and one one Democrat need to resign. We need to start fresh with the election board. They failed in their basic duties to ensure because they hire and fire the registrar. So I'm battling since they failed and choked. Uh, they could have easily brought in a new registrar. I said, okay, fine. I want their, I, then in that case, I want the election board's resignation. I'm working to, to hammer that through. Um, let, I want to move on to um, chapter seven. And it, it's in the foreword by Ed Martin, uh, which was short and right to the point. And he pulls uh, the, the three of the six, the last three branches 
of government that go under the radar, and that is the administrative state, uh, which we've touched on a little bit. Unlawful mass surveillance is the fifth branch, and I know you certainly focused on that in in the first book. Uh, but it's also the third part of it, or the sixth branch, which is the non-profits uh, composed of IRS-recognized C3 non-profits. Um, this has been an extremely intelligent way uh, that the battle has moved on using entities that seem to be very good or therefore good to do positive and to take them and to use them. Maybe you want to um, touch on either of the other two, but it was certainly the the non-profit side that intrigued me. Because once again, this goes under the radar, I think. And now and then we have flashes in even in the mainstream media, of how some of these organizations are used and then we're told that's a one-off. But it seems to be a trend. Yeah, I'm, I'm all, all for IRS uh, 501c3s, these nonprofits in the American system. Two basic elements. They're always supposed to be nonpartisan and apolitical, uh, which are two different things. But they're not supposed to be, uh, they're not supposed to be, get involved. So in the American system, uh, the, the poster child for bad behavior here is what we call the, the University of Pennsylvania Biden Center. So after, they, uh, after he left office in 2016, uh, or January 2017, he, he created this adjunct uh, appendage of the big University of Pennsylvania, which is a tens of billions of dollars nonprofit itself. Most universities in America are nonprofits. And uh, so we got this UPenn Biden Center, but we don't know what it is. And this is where Tony Blinken, now Secretary of State, who was who led this UPenn Biden Center, um, he wrote the, he ran the greatest election interference operation in history for 2020 with the 51 Intel uh, officer letter, 11 of which I had, I had worked for or worked with. And so it shows you right there, the UPenn Biden Center, which we can't find the IRS Form 990. It's actually not in the, I've searched the IRS database multiple times. And, and I've talked to the lawyers at University of Pennsylvania, and uh, supposedly it's buried some, and you can have a nonprofit within a nonprofit. That's, that's legally okay. But the, the, the universities are just gargantuan nonprofits, tens of billions of dollars of wealth, tens of billions of dollars of annual revenue. And yet they, they're just, again, that whole theme of transparency and accountability, who at the IRS is checking to, you know, the UPenn Biden Center, which, again, we can't find this, this, this 990, Blinken ran this election interference operation. You can't do that. You can't do that. And it was the greatest election interference operation in history. And everybody is, oh, well, let's just move on. Come on, don't ask any questions. There was no, uh, uh, there, there was no uh, matters with election fraud. Um, you know, so this is, this is the poster child for bad behavior among the nonprofits. Uh, moving on, and I just, I'm keen to give a flavor because you pull in uh, so much uh, in the book, which actually is a short read as well. Um, chapter 8, FBI Gone Wild. Um, and I thought, well, that could go anywhere. But you two two areas you, you pull up on, uh, the Whitmer 
scam and also the FBI riot on J6. Um, maybe you want to touch on those as examples of how the FBI have gone wild or gone rogue. Yeah, this is where transparency and accountability must be demanded. And so uh, in, the, in the Michigan case, there was this, gr- this group that was portrayed as right wing. However, when you peel back the onion and actually look at the forensics, they were left wing and they were like the, the Wolverines or something like that. And, but, you know, it's, they're white males. So, well, obviously it's right wing if they're right white males. Uh, no, no, actually they, they, they actually, part of their gig and thing was providing security for BLM and Antifa events. So these people were clearly, but the, the big media soundbite was, you know, must be right wing. Well, there was this kidnapping hoax that was, that was supposedly there was this kidnapping threat against Governor Whitmer, the governor, current governor in Michigan, who's just a absolutely back guano crazy psycho. And but so here there was 20 something informants uh, or excuse me, 20 something in this group thinking about kidnapping Whitmer. However, more than 50%, it was something like 13 of the 21 or 20 years, 13 were either FBI agents or FBI informants. Now, I have a little bit of experience in these kind of activities. And when over 50% of the group is penetrated by your own informants, it's no longer, I mean, you're creating, you're creating the group. I don't buy this that that so and there has been multiple charges a number of them have been dismissed there have been some convictions but even then i would say hold on a second the u the, the fbi created this group because normally you have maybe two depending on the size scope and scale you know you always want to get at least two and usually those informants don't know about each other you want to keep them separate and distinct but uh you have at least two but not 50% plus of the group is actually made up of government informants and agents. That's you're creating the group. So I, that's, that's one example. And then January 6th, and this is where we have the greatest mass incarceration in American history. Uh, never since the J- Japanese Americans were interned during the second world war, have we seen something like this. Uh, we still, we don't know truth on exactly how many J sixers are detained. There is no running publicly, uh, uh, formulated and public facing list from Department of Justice uh, of how many J6ers are interned. And we, we can't have truth on J6 until we have an absolute revelation of everything the FBI uh, did and federal law enforcement and coordinated with state and, fe- uh, state and local law enforcement. Because January 6th, Intel, there is full accountability, was I term it as a FBI riot. Hmm. Yeah, we've had Jake Lang on twice and uh, a number of others who have been regularly targeted uh, for simply going there and filming uh, what was happening. Um, Chapter 10, the name of the game is Regime Change. Who's in? And you start by saying, I want to begin this chapter with an example of regime change of which I have personal experience over with Saddam Hussein. Um, So you've been involved in in that process abroad. Um, I mean, 
tell us about that and kind of what you've learned from some of those experiences. Well, again, we, we, we need a proactive, aggressive law enforcement and intelligence that protects America. And I always point on the CIA website, I urge everybody to read the, uh, um, uh, the Doolittle Report. This is the same Army Air, Air Corps Lieutenant Colonel who flew Army bombers off of Navy carriers to bomb Tokyo. Eisenhower brought him in and said, what do I do with this new thing called the CIA? And it was just, I mean, you, you just want to stand up at the position of attention and salute the flag when you read this report. Because I said, that is what we need. That is we, because he said, Doolittle said, we have never had to deal with something like the Soviet threat before. And we need to take off the gloves and fight dirty. But we still have boundaries and we still have responsibility and transparency and accountability. But we need to take off the gloves and... You know, if we put them in a chokehold and gouge their eyes out uh, while pouring gasoline on them and setting them on fire, that's what we need to do. Okay, that's what we need to do. This is a life or death struggle with the Soviets. This chapter was about, I'm all for this, but the whole Saddam thing kind of went out of control. And I think it was kind of the early stages of wokeness. And uh, Saddam was a bad person. He needed to be changed out. There were, was evidence of weapons of mass destruction. I point to the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence 2006 report that documented thousands of pieces, uh, elements of WMD, and then said uh, in the body, but then in the executive summary, no evidence of WMD. I'm going, well, you just listed literally thousands in the document. So, but we could have done it better and smarter. Saddam was a bad guy, a ruthless killer, needed to go. I think we could have done it a lot better, but I, I wanted to show that of how, how things and the forever war complex kind of just really manifested itself. We could have done it a lot better with a lot more, a lot less resources, bloodshed, uh, but it just spun out of control. Yeah, we got rid of them. And then a bunch of Shia pulled, yanked him out of his, uh, after a couple of years, yanked him out of his cell and hung him. Uh, and then they, then they told us about it. Um, you know, so it just was my personal involvement in regime change. Every, every, almost every Iraqi I worked with was killed. I mean, uh, and it's, it's, it's a bloody messy business. And so we shouldn't take these things lightly. I'm there's, there's conditions and where we need to do stuff like this, but it can be very bloody and messy. Uh, to finish off your the last two chapters, uh, the four corners of innovation, reestablishing America, innovation and production dominance and then the final chapter defeating the deep state obviously you don't enter a war you don't enter a battle unless you believe that you can win that um or else you're fighting just for the sake of it um and we're looking at the end of the book um it's a message of this is possible i mean uh, tell us about that. I think it's a good place to lead the viewers because often uh, these issues can be so big. I mean, whenever the topic of deep state comes up, it's huge and you've broken it down into smaller chunks, but you end on a positive note. Uh, tell us more about that and why you believe that's possible. Well, I, I, I give a, a vision of what a uh, an America first society looks like. And, and the pathway to uh, returning to functional governance, functional society, 
in, in the American system that is con- based on a constitutional republic. Uh, four corners of innovation, which which are good, but they've been uh, perverted by 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 the elite. Uh, you know, big academia is good. Big companies are, are, are can be good. Uh, innovators can be good. Um, the academics uh, are, are important. Uh, big big finance or excuse me, uh, venture capital can be good. Those are good, but they've been perverted, and we need to. Those are but those, that's for creating an innovative society that makes things, and more importantly, makes things that makes things. The the concept of managed decline, which which most in the UK understand the concept and the heritage of where that came from. Uh, yeah, I'm going to throw that right in the trash bin. I, I couldn't. I, I want nothing to do with managed decline. I want. I, I want. I want growth. I want ascendancy at all times, and that's the problem with the elite. They kind of achieve this this the climax, and they go. There's really nothing we can do beyond this. We might as well just stop having children and just kind of lead from behind. No, forget that. Never, never, ever, ever. And so I want to. I want to give a picture of what a productive, constitutionally based system looks like that is focused on ascendancy and ascendancy for good, not ascendancy for dominating and ascendancy for the good of the society. And all, all societies should be focused on this, all, all, all nations. And the world works best when there's functional nation states putting the, the interests of their, their citizens first and working out these matters in a functional way with other countries. And that's, that's the vision of the future. And yes, we can do this. Um, John, it's always wonderful talking to you. Let me bring up once again, that is a book, War Against the Deep State, is available now, just out weeks ago. Um, do get hold of your copy. I find it fascinating reading, as I did uh, the first one. And I think it makes simple a topic which often can be complex and shows the part we can play. So, John, I appreciate you coming on and sharing. Thank you so much. Peter, thank you. I just always enjoy these. Looking forward to the next one. and It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. I hope the next one we can actually do it on an aircraft carrier. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on that. I'll work on that. <laughs> thank you so much, John. Okay. Thank you, Peter. Take care. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.